Hello everyone and welcome back to Bench Busted FPL. My name is Jack, I will be your host for this week and as always I'm joined by one and only Nick. Nick, how are you doing this week? Oh Jack, I'm very excited this week. I think this is going to be a very good podcast as well. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of talking points uh, to take away from Game Week 8 and of course looking ahead to Game Week 9. Obviously we tend to end the podcast episode by talking about Captain Seep and I think that that's going to be certainly a big uh, question on a lot of people's minds going into game week nine and I think that there are certainly a few standout candidates that are going to be at the top of everyone's lists uh, for the captaincy but before we do move on into game week nine I just want to cast your mind back a few days ago of course game week eight finished on the Monday night but Nick how did you do in game week eight? Oh see it's I've done slightly worse than you. And I always think this is the case where the person asking the question first has always done slightly better. It's a, <laughs> it's a theme in our podcast. Um, the classics, the classic boys uh, returned. Uh, Trent returned. Salah returned with a big captaincy haul. Sanchez, as you expect, Livramento always coming off the bench with some sort of points for us. But um, the rest of my team was dire, Jack. Absolutely dire. Jota didn't play a single minute. Grealish, who I brought in after we spoke... We spoke at length at the end of last podcast about whether it be Grealish or Foden. We said, if Pep comes out and says Grealish is bad, we'll play him still. And honestly, I thought that meant that Grealish was going to play because Pep did come out and say that Grealish was bad. He did not play. So Grealish, zero points. Jota, zero points. Rafinha, zero points. Um, Jimenez came on in the last few minutes for a big one. Tierney and Tommy Yasu, my belief in the Arsenal defence was tested to its absolute limit on Monday night. Where at half time, uh, I'd driven, I'd just driven my partner home. I, I dropped her off at her house. I was like, oh my God, Arsenal are keeping another clean sheet. This is great. I got home from that drive and they'd conceded two. Perfect. One point apiece. Uh, and of course, Antonio also got one and Lukaku black. Disaster, Jack. Disaster. And in the end, I've been saved tremendously by old Salah and I finished on 52 points. But uh, it certainly had me reeling and it had me thinking about my team. I know that you've done better than me. How how was yours? Well, you say, I mean, yes, I've done better than you, but only marginally better, only two points better than you. Oh, half a hit, mate, half a hit. I want to get too beaten up about it. I mean, I think certainly from, from my point of view, I seem to be sort of hovering around that 200k mark. And I have been around there for like the last four weeks or so. And again, still relatively early, although maybe we're coming up to a third of the way through the season real real soon. Um, but it does seem to be a bit of a, a bit of a stopping point for me at this current juncture um I mean yeah I think that certainly this week and a lot of the weeks preceding this week as well have seemed to be dominated by defenders either scoring goals getting assists or keeping clean sheets um you know the three uh players uh, on my team Cancelo Trent and Liveramento all picking up clean sheets obviously going into this week I had activated my wild card I was relieved when I saw Cancelo in the starting lineup. Obviously, you mentioned that Jack Grealish was also in my side. And, you know, I sort of had a feeling that if he wasn't going to play uh, in that game, then I didn't think he was going to come off the bench. And certainly as the game went on, I think it was a bit of a uh, relief to see him uh, not come off the bench in the end because it would have meant that Livramento would have been sat on my bench. So, I mean, it is what it is. And I think that Jack Grealish will no doubt find his way back into that team. Although... In the Champions League in midweek, he did play the full game. Um, so we'll have to wait and see uh, as to whether or not he will feature this weekend. But yeah, Ben White, one point. Reese James, I, I got so annoyed to see him come off the bench. I think it was in like the 88th minute, 89th minute in that game between Chelsea and Brentford. But hey, you know what? I would have had uh, no points in, in that spot. Or I might have had Brownhill off the bench for an extra uh, point. So... I'm not too disheartened by that. And Bremo is so unlucky in that game against Chelsea. And I think he's been so unlucky this season. I think he is currently at the top of the leaderboard for the most shots that have hit the woodwork. I think he's got six shots and I think the the the, the, the player in second place has only hit the bar twice. So, you know, he, he's getting the shots, he's getting the chances, but it's not quite coming for him. And I think that certainly Brentford's fixtures do take a turn for the good uh, now. Um, I mean, Leicester game is maybe not uh, an easy one, 
but certainly uh, from an attacking perspective, it does look like Mbremo is there or thereabouts when it comes to almost scoring and converting the chances. My my entire front line, Lukaku, Jimenez, Antonio, very much the same as yours, all blanking Lukaku being substituted before the end of the uh, game uh, against Brentford. And then, yeah, as you say, I mean, Salah, really the saving grace for, I think, a lot of FPL managers uh, this week. And, you know, it just goes to show that backing the early kickoff isn't necessarily always a bad thing. And I know that I've sort of had some gripes with that uh, over the last couple of weeks with Ronaldo in the early kickoff. But uh, yeah, I just think that right now, Salah, the form that he's on, I mean, he scored again against Atletico Madrid as well in the Champions League. And I think that takes him to nine games in a row in all competitions where he has scored a goal. So he is just phenomenal. And I mean, I think that there's no real better place to start than that game against Watford, the early kickoff. I mean, yes, Firmino stole the headlines with his fantastic hat-trick, but I mean, Salah is just... He scored a fantastic goal against City and he went and did it again against Watford. I mean, the guy is... Right now, he is the best player in the world. There's no doubt about it. Oh, you don't think Jorginho is (laughs) more likely to... To get the balance, whatever. I agree. Salah is is phenomenal, and he actually even last night in the Champions League. So recording this on a on a Wednesday, he he did it again. He he's scored three goals now, where he's taken it by three players. He, again, I agree. Best in the world, absolute best in the world at the moment. Um, I won't be having it any other way, and I agree with you there, Jack. It's just phenomenal. I think if you had Firmino in your team and you took a punt on Firmino, then fair play. Um, I think that certainly Firmino. When, when when that front three play together, Firmino, Mane and Salah, no disrespect to Jota, but I think that because they've obviously all played together now for a number of seasons, they all sort of understand each other's wavelength. Yeah. Um, and I think that it just goes to show, you know, that when Firmino was in that team, he does seem to sort of make the other two around him tick a bit better. Um, obviously, shout out to uh, Sadio Mane as well for scoring his 100th uh, goal for Liverpool as well. So, you know, all three of those attacking players in that Liverpool side all getting their owners' returns as well. Um, and yeah, again, you know, keeping the clean sheet. Trent, obviously not in and amongst the goals this time out. But again, you know, I'll take a six-point clean sheet, especially considering the fact that the likes of Alisson and Fabinho were obviously absent because of their participation with Brazil over the international break. So I think to keep a clean sheet, even though it was against Watford, um, it's still a fantastic result for, for Liverpool. And Honestly, I know it's very early on in the season, but I, I can really see Liverpool just pushing away from a lot of the other teams at the top of the table at the moment. I know City will be there or thereabouts at, at the end of the season. And I know, of course, Chelsea will be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. But it just feels like it's, you know, Liverpool have the momentum. They are on a hot streak. All of their players seem to be firing on all cylinders. And it's just a fantastic spectacle to watch whenever they play football. I, I agree. I think when... When it comes down to it, as a, as a Jota owner, I think you've actually almost hit the nail that I wanted to hit on the head on the head for me, where it's worrying. It was incredibly worrying to see. He didn't obviously come off the bench, but, but more than that, just how Firmino seems to not be back. I'm not going to make any mad claims like that, but he he's definitely functional in that team and he's converting chances that Jota has failed to convert for the last couple of games, which makes him look like a better option. Not not in FPL terms, but for definitely for Klopp, which makes Jota look like a bad option in FPL terms. Terms. I think it's important as well that you mentioned Mane. He's averaged like six points a game this season. Um, there's a couple of players in that squad who are definitely under the radar and I'll definitely talk... I'm absolutely going to talk about one of them in a bit, but not right now, not right now, but in the future I'm going to... of this podcast, I'm going to mention one boy who I really quite like um, in in a different context, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But uh, yeah, I think Liverpool probably probably awesome when it gets to January and February. We'll see though, won't we? When Salah and Mane go off to Af- Afcon and they could be gone for up to a month, we'll see how they do then. And and when Jota becomes sort of essential for that period of time too, and whether they can uh, whether they can do the business without their sort of their main threats in attack playing for them. Yeah, I mean, right now I'm trying to think uh, of what player you might be thinking of, but of course. I mean, I, who's my special boy? I'll tell you about my special boy. I sort of have a have an inkling about who you're who you're talking about, but uh, maybe we'll move on and come back to that if if you want to. I think one team that we have to talk about, who I think uh, you know, when we talk about the top four and the amount of investment that has gone into the club, certainly over the uh, 
transfer window before the start of the season. Of course, Manchester United. I mean, look, they they were they looked okay against Leicester, obviously away from home. Greenwood scored a fantastic goal uh, to open up the scoring in that one, and then Leicester slowly but surely clawed their way back into that game. And I remember being down watching this game at the pub, and you know this, this was obviously just before the Brentford versus the Chelsea game, and. We left the pub and it was, I think it was 1-1. And, you know, then Leicester went ahead. Then United equalised. Then Leicester went ahead twice in the space of about five minutes. What a game that was. And, you know, we've said it, we've said it before and there's no doubt that we'll say it time and time again in the future. But Leicester are one of those teams that just are slowly but surely going about their business. Maybe not from a defensive point of view. I still think that they are lacking somewhat in that department. But, you know, the likes of Vardy... The likes of Iheanacho now as well, who's, who's got a few starts for for them in a row uh, in the Premier League, is uh, maybe, maybe starting to pique a lot of FPL managers' interest when the likes of Lukaku and, of course, Ronaldo aren't perhaps up to where they need to be for their price point. Oh, it's 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 interesting. I like the chat about Vardy. As, as, we, as we're recording this, Leicester are currently 4-3 up in the Europa League after Dakar has scored for Ayanacho has assisted two of them. It's um it's anyone's guess who's going to play in that second position, but that's the position I'm the most interested in. Whereas Vardy costs a lot of money and he's probably going to regress a little bit as the season goes on because that's sort of what he's done in historically. Um and I wouldn't be busting a gut to get him in right now. I'm very, very interested in the budget option that will play alongside him because if Ayanacho gets the minutes, yeah Jack, you're bang on. Like he will be a fantastic value asset and he I mean, his points per minute are, are th- phenomenal at the moment this season. He puts up great numbers. Um, Dakar as well, clearly showing that he's got something there. Although it is, it's tricky. He's gone away to Moscow. It's, it's not like they're quality opposition, but at the moment he's putting goals in when it's required of him. So I think some, oh, I'm terrified to say it, but I think some really good options can definitely emerge from that team for sure. Yeah. And of course, you know, I think at the start of the season, there were quite a few people who were on the likes of Harvey Barnes at the start of the season as well. And, you know, maybe he's not been getting the returns back yet. I think he did chip in with an assist or two a few weeks back, but maybe he's not quite up to scratch. But I certainly think that the attacking options, you know, the the the, the likes of Ian Acho and, of course, Vardy as well are certainly two players who I think need a lot more attention. I'm not going to say that I'm going to bring in Vardy anytime soon. I think that Leicester have a phenomenal run of fixtures coming up up to up to Christmas time um, and yeah you know what I, I think that if you were to jump on to any of these uh, Leicester assets who do look appealing to you um, or do maybe you want to take a risk maybe on the likes of Madison or or maybe even T- Tielemans I mean we were chatting just before uh, we started recording but I think that Tielemans and I've said it all last season as well you know Tielemans is a fantastic player I just think that he plays a bit a bit too deep for my liking. Obviously, he plays in and amongst that midfield alongside the likes of uh, Ndidi. So I think that, you know, when he is allowed to go forward, he looks fantastic and, you know, he can hit them from 25 yards out and you know that it's going to give the goalkeeper some trouble. Um, but I think that if you want a safe bet, then, yeah, Vardy is definitely the way to go. And, yeah, if Ian Nacho continues to get game time, then why not? I mean, there's absolutely no reason why... He can't be featuring in a lot of our teams. And we saw it towards the end of last season as well. When their key players were out and injured, when they played Iheanacho and Vardy up top, they were just so in sync with each other. And Iheanacho was just scoring for fun towards the end of last season. And, you know, he found his way into a lot of FPL manager sides and quite rightly so. So Iheanacho is definitely on the watch list. We'll see if he gets the, the consistent game time. I don't want to spend too long talking about game week eight, but one game that I do want to talk about, one game that I was down there to watch in person, of course. Oh, yes. The late kickoff between Brentford and Chelsea on the Saturday. And to be honest, mate, I mean, I don't think Chelsea deserve to win that game. I think that Brentford, like this is saying it as someone who goes down there and just, I just like to watch live football. And I honestly think that Brentford should have got at least a point out of that game, if not all three, because quite honestly, Chelsea weren't at their best in the second half. Um, even in the first half, I mean, yes, for large periods of the first half, they had 
the majority of the possession, but they didn't particularly make good use of it. They didn't really get a lot of chances into the likes of Lukaku in that first half. He obviously did have the ball in the back of the net, but it was ruled out for, for offside uh, when Werner squared the ball into him in, in the box. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Brentford were phenomenally unlucky not to get something from that game. I think it was uh, Norgard right at the death had a ball whipped into him and it sort of pinballed around in the box a little bit. And, you know, he chested it up and tried a cheeky overhead kick, but uh, it was straight down the throat of Edouard Mendy, who was able to palm the ball over the top of the crossbar. And yeah, you know what? It's I think Mbomo was unlucky, as I said earlier. Tony is getting into the right positions, but at times in that game, he was dropping so, so deep just to try and get a touch of the ball. And and what, what that meant is that when Brentford were on the counter and they were looking for someone to cross the ball into the box then, you know, there was no one in the box there who could challenge for for the ball. So I think Brentford were unlucky. I think fair play to Chelsea. They defended well. Um, I think that if any of the other, if any of the shots would have went either side of Edouard Mendy, then, you know, it would have been a different story. And I think a lot of people were obviously giving praise to Edouard Mendy for a goalkeeping performance and quite rightly so. But I think that a lot of the saves were saves that you would perhaps expect him to make. So that's my opinion of it. Obviously, Chilwell scoring a goal just before half-time. Chilwell, I think that's his second goal in, in two games in the Premier League. And of course, he scored for England whilst away on international duty as well. So, I mean, you gave me the advice of uh, going for Reese James, the right-back who did come off the bench, as I mentioned earlier, right towards the end. But is there now perhaps a... Uh, a point to go for the likes of Ben Chilwell, who seems to potentially have his number one left-back spot back. Oh, mate, I would. I, I'd definitely look at the... So Chelsea are going to play Malmo, I think, tonight. Definitely look at the team sheet and see what's going on there. But if Alonso plays 90, then Chilwell's in the team for sure. If Chilwell plays 60, still in the team. So I'm certainly keeping an eye on that um, because... Or I would be keeping an eye on that if uh, if... if if I was interested in Chilwell in that way, I suppose. Uh, I agree with you on all points, though. It's one of those where my planned transfer had actually been to go Sanchez to Rea, um, and I did it immediately after the game. It, no questions asked. It was It's just such an obvious transfer because, as you said, Brentford's fixtures coming up are supreme. Brentford look phenomenal as a unit, and I think, yeah, very unlucky to lose to Chelsea um, when a draw or a win would probably have been a lot more fair. Not a lot to say about it, except for, and this is going to come up later again, it makes the decision between captaining Lukaku at home to Norwich versus Salah away to Man United actually tricky. Um, and we'll discuss it more, I suppose, but but Lukaku, very difficult player to captain now off the back of four blanks in a row, no, lots of twos. So Chelsea not looking at their best, very much required a, a Mason Mount sort of intervention. And that's what I think, at least. I think Mason Mount will, if he plays... Uh, revitalise the attack and revitalise the team and offer something that no other player can offer um, at Chelsea especially but maybe even in the league now, that's confident isn't it that's cocky I, I I have been impressed with Mason Mount certainly over the last couple of seasons um, you know I had him in and out of my team for large parts of the season last year um, I think you know he did come off the bench with about 15 minutes to go in the game against Brentford I believe so you know I didn't really see much of him but uh, yeah I just think that there are some Chelsea assets that are there um, and if you pick the right ones who are perhaps on a bit more form than the likes of Lukaku then there are points to be gained um, I do think that yeah I mean we, we will obviously talk about Salah versus Lukaku as you alluded to but I don't think you should be too down in the dumps about Lukaku uh, blanking I think obviously it would probably be a bit more of a bitter pill to swallow if the likes of Ronaldo hadn't also blanked for for a few games but I think that you know certainly Lukaku he's getting into the right positions he's just it's maybe just not quite clicking for him and of course after the game you know Tuchel said that perhaps there is some kind of a mental or, or muscle fatigue going on there because he has played quite a few games you know he's been involved in a lot of the uh, action over the international break obviously away with Belgium in the Nations League um, obviously in the Euros as well over the over the summer just gone um 
He had a full preseason training with Inter Milan before his transfer back to Chelsea. So he has played quite a few games in a row. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if he's rested in the game this evening. Um, so I think that a lot of FPL managers would probably breathe a sigh of relief if he is rested. And I think, you know, against Malmo, that Chelsea side without the likes of Lukaku should have more than enough firepower to get past the likes of Malmo. And, you know, that's no disrespect to Malmo because being in the Champions League is, is no mean feat. But I just think that, you know, if there was a time to give him a rest, maybe start him on the bench. If you need him, if you're really in, in need of a goal or, or a bit of a extra impetus in the game, then yeah, bring him on. But I'd be very surprised if, if Tuchel decides to start him after the comments that he made. Yeah, me too. Um, hoping he doesn't as well, because it would mean a lot more. I think one game that we need to talk about, definitely, on the Sunday, and of course, the first game since the takeover of Newcastle United. Newcastle 2, Spurs 3. Now, it started off very, very well for Newcastle. Callum Wilson scoring on his return after injury inside the first couple of minutes of that game. And, you know, St. James's Park was rocking. Obviously, all of the build-up before the game, all of the fans were excited and, you know, expecting a new owner bounce. Just wasn't to be in the end. I mean, maybe Kane and Son are players to perhaps be considering certainly maybe not in the immediate future because their they're sort of uh, next two to three games are maybe a bit more difficult but certainly uh, as we move uh, into November there are some games that we might want to target by having the likes of uh, Kane and Son is that something that's perhaps playing on your mind a little bit if you're not if you if you feel like Lukaku perhaps isn't there at the moment, do you think that perhaps switching to the likes of Kane or Son or maybe even a combination of the two, do you think that that's something that FPL managers could perhaps be doing in the future? Yeah, I think it is. I think Son especially is an elite player he, and he, he performs regardless of whether he's got elite players around him, whereas Kane looks to have been... Uh, he still looks a bit sluggish and he still looks like the sort of player that for his price is hard to get in because I think he's worth more than Lukaku, even after price changes. I have considered Son a lot. I've been thinking about how I could potentially get Son in my team in a couple of moves or, or what it would take. Um, at the moment, it just doesn't line up very well. It's very hard to get kept going. But yeah, if, if Salah emerges as a captain op- captain option, a captaincy option in every possible game... Um, which does sort of is going that way, then you don't necessarily even need two premiums. And I'm not counting Son as a premium because he's slightly below that bracket where you can obviously downgrade your Lukaku to a Vardy and upgrade your Grealish to a Son, stuff like that, which um, could end up being very profitable point-wise, points-wise for you. So never say never, never say never, Jack. Um, but let's, yeah, let's consider Son more than Kane. That's my takeaway. That's what I'm saying. That's just my opinion. But I'd certainly be considering Son more than Kane. Uh, and you started the season with Son as well, so you're a big Son fan. Yeah, I, I was about to say, you know, part of me is sort of reluctant to get rid of him at the time. Obviously, I, I at the time, you know, I moved him out uh, to try and bring in the likes of Ronaldo into the team. And yeah, you know, I've missed out on a few Son points and I'm not going to complain about that. But I am a big human Son fan and I think he's he was fantastic for me throughout last season. And, you know, he's been fantastic so far this season as well and obviously only owned by 15% of the game at the moment so although they've got some tough fixtures on the horizon you'd perhaps like to think that Son certainly if I was going with any Spurs attacking player it would be Heung-Min Son over the likes of Harry Kane not only because he's a, a couple of million cheaper but also because yeah as you say I think he's just more of a consistent player and more of a, a player who doesn't perhaps rely on other players in that team as much as, as the likes of Harry Kane does but I think a lot of uh, a lot of people were sort of getting itchy fingers about Heung-Min Son because obviously going into the game, there were rumours about a positive COVID test. And, you know, then just before the game, it, it, the, the news broke that they were, of course, what they are calling fake positive tests because I think that him and I believe it might have been, um, oh, I forget his name, one of the uh, other wingers that they signed in the summer, Carlos Hill, um, I think that they both returned negative tests after after the second uh, test just before the game, so they were both cleared. And I think that that was certainly to the to the advantage of Spurs. And yeah, I think that Son, perhaps Kane. I mean, if Kane can find his feet over the next 
few games, West Ham away, Man United at home, Everton away, before he does hit that fantastic green patch of fixtures. I mean, all the way down to, you know, yes, I've got Liverpool in that one, but from game week 12 to game week 22, it's looking very, very, it's looking very, very favourable on the fixture ticker for that Spurs side. Again, I don't feel like I want to go anywhere near their defensive line. If I was to go with a defender, it would probably be Hugo Lloris in, in between the sticks for them. Um, but at 5.5, I don't I don't particularly think that I want to have a goalkeeper who is 5.5. Um, and, and certainly if I was to to do that, then I would uh, pay the extra money and just go with Mendy for, for Chelsea. So, yeah, it's one of those where I'm looking to get on a Spurs asset or two, whether it be Kane or Son or both. Um, is yet to be seen, but I just want to give them a bit of time uh, over the next uh, two to three weeks just to see if Kane can finally find his goal-scoring boots and then maybe Lukaku might have to make way for the likes of Harry Kane um, in that side. So I think that's all that we want, or that's all that I want to talk about in Game Week 8. I don't know if there's anything else that that, that you particularly want to talk about. I mean, Man City didn't win 5-0 against Burnley, which I think that we were all disappointed by, Um, but obviously... With the likes of Jack Grealish, there wasn't really any attacking returns to come. And I was more than happy to have that Cancelo clean sheet. Um, but yeah, is there any, any other games that sort of uh, piqued your interest? Um, no games that have piqued my interest, Jack. Um, lots of returns and and, and players that have... Uh, uh, what's the opposite of piquing your interest? They, they've, crushed my, they've crushed my spirit. Um, and I think this is an appropriate time to drop a bit of a bombshell for you here and tell you that I actually wildcarded in response to all of this that we just talked about. Oh, okay. Oh, indeed. Do you like that? A little bit of a bombshell, a bit okay. of a, a, a bit well, of a surprise. I did not know that. You've kept that under wraps mm. well for the last couple of days. Yeah, I have. I woke up on Tuesday morning after after the Arsenal game, and I thought. And I had, I, honestly, it was like, it was like post, it was like regret. It's like I'd taken someone home and they'd spent the night with them. And I, and I woke up <laughs> and I looked at my Arsenal defenders and I said to them, oh, get out of my house. <laughs> get oh my <laughs> word. <laughs> You've had some post-nut clarity yeah. about your team. <laughs> I was like, this is awful. <laughs> this is an appalling position to be in. It was on top of that. It was Jota's minutes and Firmino's performances made me want to ditch Jota. Um, and I did want to jump on potentially a Chelsea defender, uh, potentially a Man City defender. I wanted to ditch Grealish because um, I, I had this thought where we obviously, you've said it just now and you made it really, you made a really poignant point where Man City didn't win 2-0, uh, didn't win 5-0. And I realised Man City aren't going to win every game 5-0. So even if you get the attacker right, even if you win the gamble on getting the attacker right in a game, you need to win the gamble on them getting a return as well, because because that's not even guaranteed. If they if they play, they're still not even guaranteed to return. So I wanted to make some changes. Um, I won't go through all of them, but I'd already made the Sanchez to Rea goalkeeper transfer that I planned. Um, I've got rid of Grealish. I've got rid of Jota. I've got rid of Tierney. I've got rid of Tommy Asu. Um, and I've also changed my my backup players to to be bench players that actually play games. Um, what I've done, and I and I won't I won't talk too much. I'll let you sort of comment on this in a second. Is I've kept my front line of Jimenez, Antonio, and Lukaku. But I think looking at Antonio, that is potentially subject to change. Although maybe that's a give him a couple of games and then he's a free transfer in the future. I've brought in Mbwemo. Yes, mate. Yes, mate. Of course I have, Jack. He's hit the post six times. <laughs> yeah, you've talked me into that. So I've got double. I've got double Brentford. I've kept Salah. I've kept Rafinha. Um, and I've got a second bench fodder as well in midfield now. I've got Douglas Louise and Brownhill. Um, if you're keeping track, that means I have four defenders. 4-3-3, four, three, three, yeah. 4-3-3. Three, three. Um, Kep Liveramento, he's on the bench. He's not one of the four. Alexander-Arnold, pretty basic pick. Easy stuff. Uh, Zhao Cancelo, I think it's worth the risk, and, and I'm happy to hold on to him. I've gone Benjamin Chilwell as, as the third defender because I think he's nailed at that spot. Um, I'm... I, I'm incredibly apologetic for the bad advice that I gave you. I did believe that James would be a good pick, but after seeing the way that Chilwell played, um, seeing that he played, I think whew, yeah, he's almost a dead sir. And then the fourth defender, have you been counting? Have you been trying to add up how much money I've got left? What I've got in the bank? 
I don't know the prices off the top of my head, but I sort of predicted that you would have Trent, Cancelo and, and Chilwell. Mm. Well, the fourth one, I had 7.1 mil to spare. And I think, Jack... I think, have you gone with Robertson? <laughs> have you gone with Robertson? If, you're not, if you don't have Robertson, are you even <laughs> playing the game seriously? That's that's what I'm selling to you. If you don't have Robertson, are you even playing the game seriously? My <laughs> word. My, well, we, we we've come full circle. We've, we've just gone full circle, mate. We certainly have. Wow. Um, I, I'd like to say on, on, on Robertson, he's completely underlooked at the moment. Nobody owns him. There are people who keep tab of the veterans. There are people who keep tab of the top 100K and his ownership is is dwarfed it, uh, it completely. And I think that he is a great option. He got an assist last night um, in the Champions League. He obviously didn't play the first three, maybe two games uh, of the league this this year. But if you do some really rudimentary maths, if you add Simicus's points to Robertson's totals, um, he's like the second best defender in the league by a, an absolute margin. And on top of that, there are some people who have compiled some expected assists per 90 stats to sort of standardise it a bit. Um, and Trent, uh, and expected goals per 90, and Trent is, is far and away light years ahead of everyone. Behind him, also light years ahead of everyone, Andrew Robertson. So for me, he is a serious, serious pick. And I think that he could do some real damage to ranks um, for me moving forward. So I've just whizzed you through that. I've dropped such a bombshell and told you that I've done all this changing to my team. Um, have you got any reaction to that? Have you got anything? Well, I think I think a lot of the team is sort of, well, I wouldn't say predictable, but I think it, I think it's fairly rudimentary, you know, going with the like, you know, Having the front three that, that you've got, I, I think that there's no there's no harm in having Antonio Jimenez and Lukaku. Although, as you mentioned earlier, Lukaku perhaps not finding the goal as much as a lot of the uh, owners would perhaps like him to. I think going without a Man City attacker, as you say, it's it is a risk, um, but it is also risky going with one. Um, so I think yeah, we we said it last season as well. You know if. If you're not confident about what Man City attacker to have, then just don't have any and avoid the whole Pep Roulette situation. And, you know, I think that worked out for a lot of us last season. Um, I think if I was to have one, and I've said it, I said it last time as well, if I was to have a midfielder, it would perhaps be uh, KDB. I've got Grealish um, instead of Foden as well. So I, I think that it's very, very tactically astute, shall we say, to just miss out on any of the attacking returns from any of those uh, players in the front line for for uh, Manchester City but again as I say it could pay dividends and like you say I think I think the main reason why Robertson is perhaps being a bit more overlooked than the likes of Trent not only because obviously Trent I think offers a bit more offensively um, certainly so far this season and, and seems to be you know he is on a lot of the free kicks and, and majority of the set pieces. Um, but I just think that with Simicast there, there is still that lingering rotation risk. And of course, the same can be said about Trent. You know, he can have his right back role filled in with the likes of uh, James Milner, uh, who can sort of be pushed back a little bit into that uh, right back role. So, there is still that rotation risk, but I think that Klopp understands how much football Robertson has played over the last six to eight months. And I think that Robertson is perhaps maybe a bit more likely to be rotated than than, than Trent is. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's perhaps why a lot of managers are perhaps straying away from Robertson and going with the more nailed uh, of the two fullbacks at Liverpool. But... By no means does that mean that Robertson is a bad option. I mean, there were times last season where, you know, a lot of us owned only Trent and Robertson was the player who was mopping up the attacking returns and the clean sheets and the bonuses as well. So I think that there are points to be gained by having the both of them. And I think that certainly by sacrificing Jota, it allows you to go with the two uh, fullbacks for that Liverpool side. And again, you know, having having them slot in to your team with the likes of Chilwell and Cancelo is, 
I mean, I think that you've got a fantastic team set up, mate, to be honest. Um, I'm thrilled with it. I was looking at it and I was like, this is way better. Goodbye, Tierney. Goodbye, six foot two, Tommy Yasu. And they may score. They may return well. They play Aston Villa in the early kickoff on Friday. And those games, those Aston v. Aston Villa games are always very unpredictable. I remember Villa beat them 3-0 at one point last season, just out of nowhere. So I'm prepared to accept that. But I think long term, Robertson's probably going to emerge as a very good pick. But it may take a while for people to realise that. And I and I thought this is an opportunity here to have a very template team and to get someone in who's putting up the numbers is historic is historically really good and is just an outrageous differential at the moment. Um so I've done that as my gain a little bit of ground, but it's not totally outrageous sort of pick. Yeah, and I think that, you know, because there are so many good value midfield picks this season, you know, you're talking about the players who are you know in between that sort of 5.5 to 6.5 price point I think that there is an absolutely perfect excuse to go with a 4-3-3 and to have you know your two premium players in Salah and Lukaku and then to sort of uh, have your two playing strikers I imagine Jimenez will be straight back into that starting lineup in in Wolverhampton's next game but you know you go with Lukaku you go with Salah you have sort of these two budget players in the midfield. I mean, Embremo is an out-of-position player, which is, again, what I've said time and time again. It's what a lot of FPL managers look for um, in the game. And, uh, you know, he's playing up front. He gets the extra point for the goal. He gets an extra point if his team was to keep a clean sheet as well. So Embremo, I think, is a fantastic pick. And I've said it again before, Rafinha, for me, is, although, yes, he's, you know, he didn't play on the weekend because of his involvement with Brazil. I think that he is still a fantastic player and I think that he is the best player that Leeds have on that side and, and he's shown it time and time again that, you know, even if they don't have the likes of Bamford or, you know, any of the other attackers in that side helping him out, he can still do the business on his own. So I think that that midfield and that attack is fine and as I say, you know, I think that going big at the back this season is certainly... A strategy that I've seen a lot of people adopting. Yeah, and I just hope it pays off, and that that maybe my biggest weakness is, of course, if a if a midfield like a an eight million midfielder starts popping off, it's hard to get them in. But uh, I'm prepared for that. I'm I'm just accepting that. If, if Grealish goes in, then so so be it. I've made a mistake. I mean, I'm 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 looking at Grealish, and I, I probably won't make any transfers this week. You know, I've set up my team with my wild card activation last week with a view to you know at least keeping a transfer in the back pocket um, and, and perhaps maybe changing it after game week nine. So I don't think I'm going to be making any any changes to the team, but I'd like to think that Grealish will come back into that side. Of course I would, but if he doesn't... I've been stung by Ferran Torres earlier this season when I brought him in and then he didn't play for the, sub, for the next three games. And I don't really want to have another Manchester City midfielder who I bring in who then just doesn't go on to play for a bit and... You know, I sort of shoot myself in the foot and having almost 8 million invested in, in Grealish is, is, for me, not not good investment, let's say that. Yeah, well, again, it's a time-will-tell situation because just last week I thought that Grealish was a great pick too. So <laughs> we'll have to see how it goes. I'm very happy though, Jack, generally, um, to have kept this a secret from you for so long and to drop it in during the podcast as, as a bit of a bombshell. Your response, by the way, um, was... Ooh, which is sort of what I was going for. <laughs> well, honestly, I was I was just shocked more than anything because normally, as you know, normally we have sort of a, a good back and forth about FPL throughout the week and we'll talk about our, our thoughts and, and our plans and any players that we're perhaps thinking about bringing in and whatever. But yeah, as I say, you, you've kept that under the wraps and you. I, I wish you could have seen the smile on my face when, when you dropped that when you dropped that on me, because I was smiling from ear to ear just hearing that news, mate. Yeah, bit of a bit of a everything felt like it could be better sort of situation. <laughs> I think one thing that we need to touch on before we do get into the nitty gritty of talking about the, the captaincy debate um, is, of course, breaking news earlier today. Steve Bruce has parted company with Newcastle United after managing his 1000th game in charge in the Premier League. So, I mean, he's been look, he's been put under pressure with the new owners coming in. I think that the 
Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund is going to realise very soon that just because they have a lot of money doesn't mean that they're going to get immediate change in their fortunes. I think that Newcastle are still going to be fighting for survival come the end of the season. But I do think that the players are perhaps, you know, when a new manager comes in, they call it the new manager bounce and, you know, everyone wants to try and impress the new boss that comes in. So I know that there's been a lot of rumours about Paolo Fonseca perhaps taking up the position, the the, the former Roma manager uh, coming in. Um, and I think that he is currently one of the bookies' favourites to take over the role. And, you know, I think that if they bring him in, then they need to understand that they're bringing him in for the long haul because I, I would hate to see them bring in a manager and become one of those clubs that just goes through bucket loads of managers um, over the next uh, five or six seasons or so. So I think that perhaps fortunes may change for Newcastle, but I don't I don't think the owners can expect them to come immediately. Well, I, I, I've been saying that it's probably going to take about 10 years. I think, <laughs> I actually think, I, I feel quite sad for Steve Bruce. Some of the interviews he's done since he since he moved on have been quite um, quite telling of the mental pressures that it takes when it takes on you and your manager. And I think it's nice to see that he's going to, I mean, obviously he's done this for exceptional amounts of money and he's a very rich man. So it's hard to feel too sorry for him. But uh, I don't think that means that he can be abused online. So it's nice that he's going to take a step back and focus on his wife, who he sort of speaks about in such a loving way. So thanks, Bruce. But uh, it's a shame that my Lukaku captain in a couple of weeks is looking a little bit less assured now against Newcastle. That's where, that's where I'm at with it. I don't know. I still think that that's probably a very viable captain option. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't read into to it too much, unless, of course, they do somehow turn their defense into a brick wall um, over the next couple of weeks. Then I, I still think that you know, targeting that Newcastle fixture can still reap the rewards, and you know, I think that there will be some investment in the January transfer window. Of course, there will be but um yeah i don't i don't know how how quickly it's gonna fix any of the problems that that they have in their team i think nick it's time to get down to the nitty gritty of it all to business the one thing that we're all here to talk about and of course it's the sort of topic that has been on a lot of fpl managers minds going in to game week nine of course it is the captaincy debate lukaku at home to norwich versus salah away from home against Manchester United. Now, in any other circumstance, any other season, it would be a no-brainer captaincy on Lukaku, stick it on him. It's at home to the worst side in the league at the moment, the, 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 the team who are dead bottom of the Premier League table. And it's Lukaku who is a phenomenal player. So, of course, why wouldn't you captain him? For once, it's not the early kickoff. I mean, it's the early kickoff on the Saturday, of course, the 1230 um, game between Chelsea and Norwich but of course as you alluded to Arsenal do play Aston Villa on the Friday so technically it's not the first game of the week although it is still the early kickoff. Um but then again on the other hand you've got Salah who's playing against United who have looked very very shaky defensively obviously missing the likes of Iran and I think a lot of FPL managers were Surprised to see Harry Maguire starting against Leicester because, of course, there were rumours that they would have they they would be starting with the likes of Lindelof and Eric Bailly um, as their centre back duo. But Maguire was past fit and he came back into the side, and I mean he didn't really have that much of an impact on the game, if I'm honest. And United haven't looked great defensively. Salah is on phenomenal form. As I say, you know he scored. In each of his last, what is that, six Premier League games now, but he scored, I think, in nine in all competitions. And it's just crazy what he's done um, so far this season. And I think, you know, when when it comes to talking about players in the league and, you know, you mentioned it about Antonio and when we sort of knew that Antonio wasn't going to be able to keep up his goal-scoring exploits. But when we talk about the likes of Mo Salah, he is certainly a player who can keep it up. And if he keeps on this upward trajectory, then he's going to have a, a record-breaking season and it's going to be just insane to witness. But is it as clear-cut as picking Salah or should we perhaps consider Lukaku as well? And I'm, I can't even believe that I'm sort of 
using Lukaku as a, as a secondary option now. I mean, my armband is currently on Lukaku. Of course, I think that Lukaku's been unlucky. I think that if he doesn't play this evening, I think it will be a huge boost for a lot of FPL managers who do own him. If he does play, perhaps the armband might be changing and might be moving across to the likes of Mo Salah because right now it doesn't seem like he's going to doesn't seem like he's going to stop scoring. And and he's just, as I say, time and time again, has proved us all wrong as to why you should just never doubt him as your captaincy pick. So, yeah, my question to you, is it as easy a choice as it is for you as it is a hard choice for me to make? Oh, man, it's tough. Um, I'm actually struggling. I'm, I'm the opposite way, but at the moment it's on Salah because I read the news about... Uh, in fact, it's, it's a relic of the last week, but also because I read the news. I... I'm leaning towards Lukaku. I'm of the opinion that I'm not that fussed about the early kickoff. Um, I think Norwich are just that bad, like an extra level of bad where they should, they should concede quite a lot of chances to Chelsea strikers and Chelsea's forwards. And I just can't really look past it. It's simple as that. I really do want to see Lukaku, as you said, miss tonight's game or or at least get very reduced minutes if he pays 45 and comes off at half time that's almost the most telling thing isn't it uh, it comes off when they're comfortably ahead and gets rested in time for the Norwich game but um oh yeah I agree hardest thing in the world the other thing that's on my mind is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer does this sort of thing where he's obviously a garbage manager but just before he gets fired he has he pulls out like a, a good run or a couple of good results, and at home to Liverpool feels like one of those games where he could quite easily do this horrible it, a defensive masterclass they'll call it Jack, but really it will just be they'll park the bus they'll play for a nil nil, and Liverpool may struggle to break them down um, or or just get one goal or, or whatever you know like a one one a one nil 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 sort of scoreline where Salah might not necessarily be involved. It could be one of those games where it takes like a cross off the boot of Trent Alexander-Arnold onto the head of Van Dijk to to break the deadlock. It could be one of those really tight games. On top of that, actually, Man United have been quite poor uh, at set pieces, despite having a set piece coach, which the Man United fans will brag about. So I see it going that way. And when I see it going that way, and when I see Chelsea with one of the best strikers in the world playing against Norwich... For me, it. I think it's Lukaku. That's my that's my takeaway. That's what I'm saying out loud on the podcast. I think it's Lukaku. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to be in agreement. I think, obviously, unless there's any news that comes out, unless he does feature uh, this evening and then maybe sustains a bit of an injury, then I think that, obviously, the plans will change. And I think, you know, if you... Again, we, we, we sort of find ourselves in that situation again where if you think that the United versus Liverpool game is going to be a bit of a cagey affair, then it might pay to captain someone else in that in, in, in your team. I think that Jimenez is certainly an outside pick. I mean, yes, it's away from home, but it's against Leeds who have looked shaky defensively. I think Antonio could do okay against Spurs at home, but, you know, we'll, we'll see if Nuno Espirito Santo's team can kick on from their win against Newcastle. And, you know, if Lukaku doesn't, feature or or if I am in the thinking that Lukaku is perhaps not going to get game time in that Norwich game and is perhaps going to be rested then maybe I will take the punt and even put the armband on Reese James who is also in the side going up against Norwich and I think that Chelsea are perhaps the uh, bookies favourites this weekend to to keep a clean sheet I think it's over over 60% chance that they are going to keep a clean sheet against the worst side in the league so we'll have to wait and see I think for me, it is very much firmly on Lukaku. In, in, unless I hear, unless I hear any news, um, that may sway me to, to to go against the grain. I mean, the rest of my team, I've got Raya in between the sticks. Of course, I've got Cancelo, Trent, and James in there. Rafinha, Grealish, fingers crossed, who uh, will get back into that side and hopefully he can get a return or two against Brighton. Uh, and then, of course, Salah and Mbemo, and then the same front three as you, Lukaku, Antonio, and. Wow, Jimenez. So, Livermento again finds himself on my bench. Maybe that is a, a bad choice to make because I can just see it now that Livermento will again be picking up six points uh, at home against Burnley, who, to be honest, haven't looked great. And 
Southampton's home form has been phenomenal so far this season. So maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot by going with Cancelo, Trent and James. But yeah, it's a risk that I'm willing to take. If Grealish doesn't play and doesn't come off the bench, then Livramento is there in, in my back pocket, so to speak. Um, as as the first player on my bench. How are you looking for this week then? Well, obviously I've played the wild card. I'm feeling pretty good about the week. Uh, I don't think I'd have anyone in who I thought wasn't going to score points this week. The exception to the rule might be that I'm a little bit nervous about Jimenez, but frankly, I have to back him almost, Jack. It's the the Jimenez erection. (laughs) Um, And Antonio is starting to concern me. I'm going to keep an eye on that. I want to know how much he plays, well, I will be keeping an eye on how much he plays um, in Europe uh, this week because that's another case where I think we said at the start of the season uh, there will be a point where West Ham start to struggle with with fitness. They're no, they're no, they're not unique. It happens to every team that plays these weird European games that that doesn't have the money to afford a, a squad that they can rotate heavily, and it will happen to them too. So. There will be a point where I want to get rid of Antonio. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm happy to start him though this week and, and to have him in the team at the end. But but who for? Who, who would I get him out for? Is the is the question I asked myself. And frankly, no one else looks better. So so yeah, he's the concern. But he's probably staying in the team. He's probably just someone to to keep an eye on uh, moving forwards. Otherwise, looking absolutely great. Yeah, I mean, I think Antonio, even for me, although I've had him since the start of the season, I know that I've you know I've got quite a bit of value out of him. For me, he's gone up in price six times now. He's went from 7.5 up to 8.1. So I do have that 0.3 million there invested in him waiting to be freed up. Um, so I think very much so that Antonio is, if I was to make a transfer, then perhaps Antonio is a player that I would consider getting out of the team and perhaps downgrading for the likes of, dare I say it, Tony, maybe even Edward comes in to the fold as well because I think that he is uh, slowly but surely for that Palace side picking up a goal or two here or there and just you know slowly going about the business and he does offer a bit of a a differential pick although I think that at this moment in time Antonio and I know that we should never base it on the ownership but Antonio almost being you know picked by half the game is a, a very daunting feat to go without him I think Nick that's a perfect place to end and I think that, as we say, you know, we're both backing Lukaku. We're both hoping for big returns from Game Week 9. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be back next week where we will be singing the praises of a Lukaku hat-trick against a wounded Norwich side. It's been a fun one. I like the bombshells.